Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got John Nolder on the line. John, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I am awesome. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You'd reached out uh, and you get a little bit of your backstory and like, okay, this is definitely something that I want to, my audience to hear, you know, from, from the things that you're doing, your new book and all that. So why don't you share a little bit about you and then we'll dive right into the conversation. Yeah, sure. I'm grateful to be with you. Um, I've always worked as a freelance photographer. I've shot most of my career for national magazines and Fortune 500 companies. And about a dozen years ago, I started this media arts project called A Piece of My Mind. That's P-E-A-C-E, that sort of piece. And um, and really, it's a, it's a collection of stories and portraits of people from all different backgrounds. And we use these stories to try to encourage uh, the world to remember what connects us. That's awesome. And I love that play on the word peace, which is something that we so desperately need. Yeah. Um, You know, when we say, um, when we hear people say, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind, P-I-E-C-E, it's rarely a peaceful encounter that's about to ensue. But I, I like playing with words and I really, I wanted to find something that could help us to look at, um, what connects us, what's good about people. And a piece of my mind centers around this central question, what does peace mean to you? But it really is uh, this open door that allows us to talk about some of the most difficult issues in our country, race, politics, gender, ethnicity, faith, class, all these different things. And it's an opportunity to listen deeply. My hunch is your photography background played a big part in this because one of the things, not just from my own point of view and looking at photos, and it could be a photo of a building, it could be a photo of nature, it could be a photo of somebody or something. Uh, they all tell stories and they all resonate, you know, something like you know, it's autumn, you know, and, and you, I know right now you're in the Midwest and I'm in Toronto at the moment. And, you know, from time to time, you know, during this time of season, we see the leaves change and the, the colors are so vibrant, but they tell a story and they resonate with me. Some other people, you know, may not care for this particular time of year and don't pay much attention to the changing of things. And it's, you know, it's changing of seasons and, you know, there's changes in the air too, as far as all the things we've been dealing with in this pandemic, work, life. Uh, A lot of people have used this uh, pandemic as an opportunity for the great reset. And they ventured out and they sold their home and they bought an RV and they travel the world. Probably sounds familiar to you. Um, Sounds really familiar. And because people, they, they like the freedom and freedom, freedom is peace for, for people, I think. And that's so many people are looking for that freedom, whatever freedom means to them, but it also associates with whatever peace means to them. Well, I think, you know, the pandemic was a great uh, reset. It was a great pause. It was a great opportunity for us to reassess what's important to us in life. And um, coming back a little bit to this notion of storytelling, you know, I've 
Um, I've always considered myself a storyteller. My degree is in journalism. And so uh, sometimes those stories have been told with words and sometimes they've been told with photographs. Um, I've spent a lot of my career as a freelance photographer shooting travel assignments for tourism offices and travel magazines. Uh, and, and in that process, I came to realize that it was my job to find beauty in unexpected places. You know, that people would hire me to see good where others might struggle to find it. And in a certain sense, that's what we're doing with this series of stories with a piece of my mind. You know, we're going into some of these really difficult issues. We're going into these really contentious um, debates and we're trying to find ways to talk about them well. We're trying to look at these really challenging social issues, but find people who are looking for creative solutions and looking for a path forward. And we're trying to amplify those and we're trying to use those as a path to move forward. So in the same way I've always done with my photography, um, you know, now we're comb combining someone else's narrative along with my portraits. As, as a photographer, you know, uh, the gallery process, you take a pretty picture and you hang it on the wall and say what you want to say about it. But I've always been interested in oral history. I've always been interested in the tradition of people like Studs Terkel, who will listen to other people's stories. And so me as a photographer, as a journalist, as a storyteller, even maybe as a human being, what I find really compelling is the combination of somebody else's words and narrative with as little filter of mine as possible, combined with my image, which is, I mean, fundamentally sort of my assessment of them and my, my uh, view of them. And in these photographs, what I hope to portray is sort of the human dignity in everyone, whether it's someone who just got out of prison, whether it's an undocumented immigrant, whether it's someone who has a terminal illness, to see that beauty and wisdom that's inherent in everybody around us, if, if we just take the time to see it. And that's a big thing is time. Uh, our attention span we've seen in society keeps getting shorter and shorter. Well, you, we'll pick on Twitter for a second. You know, short little bursts of information um, could be truthful, yeah. up to debate, depending on what's being said. But at the end of the day, it's like we're looking for these little quick hits of information. And the dialogue, as we see in social media in many arenas and on media, television, uh, sometimes print, uh, can be very, I don't want to say one-sided, but not open for debate or conversation. It's very, this is how it is, and, and that's that. And I, I think your book does a great job of really flushing out the, the need for conversations. And from, a, from an even standpoint, because we're all, you know, doesn't matter, you know, from a political standpoint. You could have completely different political opinions, but there's more in common than not. But unfortunately, it seems like that right now, so many people are in this state of, this is the only way I'm going to see it. And I'm not going to open up for other points of view. It doesn't mean I'm going to change my mind or I may, but people, it seems like they just don't even want to entertain the opportunity of looking at things from a different point of view. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Michael. And it, it feels like we're leaning into contention instead of compassion. It seems like we lead uh, expecting the worst 
from others instead of expecting the best from others. And, um, you know, when you do that, it, it, it's usually a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if you're looking for what's wrong with someone else, you're going to find it. If you're looking with for what's right with someone else, there's a good chance you might find that as well. And, uh, you know, we can pick on Twitter uh, for its, you know, <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to display my ignorance. Ig ignorance. What is it? 280 characters now? Whatever whatever Twitter is these days. Um, but But you can have the same sort of incomplete story in a long form. Uh, piece as well uh, in a long documentary piece, and so really, it's 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 not the the tool so much it is how it's used. And I think for me, when we use, when we when we share these longer stories, you know, no one of us has the full truth on any issue. But for me, what's really interesting about this project is that these personal stories um, are a thread in the fabric of who we are as a country. And so if you can listen deeply to this one story, you'll you'll get a particular perspective and a particular view of things. And then if you add in another thread and then you add in another thread, and one of the big challenges of today's society, I think is that we're only looking for those threads that agree with us, that sort of confirm that we're right and the other person is wrong or we're good and the other person is bad. And I really think what I love about this project is that we have a chance to explore the subtleties of uh, humanity. You know, no, no one of us is uh, 100% good and 0% bad or vice versa. We're all a little bit of a mix. And, you know, in, in our cancel culture today, if, if, if somebody has a body of work that has done good in the world, but then they have one infraction, um, very often they're dismissed. You know, and I think that we have to be really cautious about that because pretty soon we will have dismissed everyone. And I, I think what works better for me is an honest reckoning with the truth. So, yeah, this person did some great things, but they also were problematic in this way and the other way. So what can we learn collectively from that? You know, I think if there were if there were a Martin Luther King Jr. today or a Gandhi today, I don't. I'm not sure that they could hold up to the scrutiny, the public scrutiny or the uh, or the social media scrutiny that's applied to people today. Uh, and I worry that we give up some of our potential gains um, by only focusing on on our weaknesses. I agree. And I think it also waters down from a political standpoint. I think there are people that would be incredible leaders whether it's governors or senators or representatives or presidents. I think there are strong leaders of every political flavor that would be a great leader for our city, our state, our country, but they don't want to bother with that type of atmosphere. It's not worth it to them. They go, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. So what happens is you get some individuals that may not be up to it. And I'm not making any type of commentary about anybody that's in office, um, their journey, their path. Like you said, there's no 100% good or bad type of thing. You know, there's positives and challenges that everybody brings to the table. But I think, like you said, when there's this dialogue and cancel culture, a lot of people are like, you know what? I don't want to put that out because someone may not like it. And all of a sudden society gets robbed of 
things that could actually be beneficial. So those people that push forward and go and, and the people that may have misstepped, you know, accountability is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Owning what you did. It's like, yep, I screwed up. That was a mistake. Yes, it was 15 years ago, but I am remorseful about that. And, you know, be up and honest on it and, and then continue to move on. Cause again, it's, you, you hear cases and we've seen situations of, you know, in history, okay, we got to remove the statue and we do this and that. And again, I'm not going to get into a political discord about this, but my concern is with the cancel culture, it's like, we're trying to erase things. If you erase things, then there's always potential for history to repeat itself. So if we try to forget a, a negative situation, well, then all of a sudden the lessons learned from that period, if we erase them there, we can't learn any lessons from it. So likelihood of repeating uh, definitely increases. Well, and I would, and I would um, differentiate between things like, like removing monuments to the Confederacy in the United States from uh, cancel culture. But one of the things we do with this project is, uh, is to go and listen to people in communities about things like that. If, if I want to understand uh, more about immigration, I want to go to the border and I want to talk to people who are, I'm sorry, you're, you're up there in Toronto. I want to go to our Southern border in the United States. Uh, and, um, you know, talk to asylum seekers and talk to activists, but also talk to border patrol agents and, and ranchers who live in the area and really understand the complexities of these issues. Uh, we went down to, um, Oxford, Mississippi, which had two Confederate, large Confederate monuments in the town and, and uh, one on the college campus of the University of Mississippi, one on the courthouse lawn. And they were reckoning with those in two different ways. And so we simply, you know, set up a studio at the, at the foot of this Confederate monument on the courthouse yard and just asked people, what does this mean to you? And tried to hear um, the human experience and the local experience of of these sorts of things. And I think so often we are fed a narrative through our news sources that that may not display the full complexity of the issues, that may not um, reckon with the full humanity of the issues. So part of what a piece of my mind tries to do is sit in those spaces um, and not tell people what I think, but listen to the people on the ground and just ask what they think. And as a, you know, as a, as a middle-aged white guy from Northern Minnesota, um, you know, to go down to the South and hear some of those conversations is always eye-opening and always enlightening. Because it's a different experience from the environment that you grew up in. And yeah. those of us that learn and seek to understand different points of view and experiences, I think we become richer as human beings. And, and, and what I mean by richer is more educated, more understanding, compassion, and all the other things that come into it because we, we get a glimpse of what the other person or a group or an area has had to deal with and all the nuances of it. And I agree with you, the, the media in many ways to no fault of their own because there's time constraints in 
length of article restraints and other things like, okay, we got to get this article, but it's got to be this. It can't be any. And sometimes there are things that won't fit in a five minute news section or uh, a 2,500 word article. It's like, no, it's got to go deeper than that because there's a lot of complexity to this particular matter. So let's talk about the book. What was your favorite part of, of putting the book together? Oh, interesting. Um, so the newest book that we have for this project is called Portraits of Peace, Searching for Hope in a Divided America. And after after a decade of gathering and sharing other people's stories, I felt like I had something to say for myself, uh, something about taking risks, about encountering difference, about challenging my own expectations, about learning from, you know, a, 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 a broad range of people around me uh, and, and learning how to be a better ally. And so a part of, I guess my favorite part of putting the book together uh, was just having to clarify my own thoughts. You know, sometimes, and, and this is why I journal uh, when I do, uh, because sometimes these ideas live um, a little bit incomplete in my mind. I think I know what I feel about this issue, or I think I know what I believe about that thing. But until you have to articulate it, until you have to say it out loud and commit it to paper, um, it's not always fully formed. And so I think one of my favorite parts of this process was simply sitting down and having to clarify my own thoughts and get this story out on paper. That being said, um, if you've ever written a book, it goes through about 37 different uh, versions. You know, you're never quite sure when you're done, but this publisher, Broadleaf Books, um, had a great editing team that worked with me. And that editing team would read passages and they would challenge me and they would say, well, tell me a little bit more about this, or what do you mean by that? Or help me understand what you're trying to say, which ironically is the same process I go through when I interview people for this project. You know, so it was really good to have that reflected back on me so that I could um, so that I could try to be a little bit clearer, so I could try to be a little bit more concise. And in the process, I really feel like uh, this new book says what I want it to say. And I feel like it's my voice saying it, which is to say um, that I have a side that's serious and earnest and that I really um, that I really want to dig into these issues. But I also have a side of me that's a little uh, a little bit of whim- whimsy and a little playful. And so there's some of that, some of that humor in the project as well. It's always a sign or a great sign of a great editor or a great editing team when they can reconfigure our words and put it together and still have the book feel that it has come from us. And that's when, you know, you have a really good team and support on that. And it, it and it's, it's always great to sit down and read your own book. I mean, there's, there's something about that. And, you know, for me and, and, you know, the books that I've written, you know, I I put myself in the mindset. It's like, okay, I'm going to read this book as if I was going to read your book or a John Maxwell book or a novel or whatever the case may be. You never met. Yeah. Or somebody you've never met. It's like, okay, let's go into this and and read it. And every time you finish it, my first thought was, editor did a great job of that. Thank you so much. And send him another note. It's like, you've already told me that. Well, I'm telling you again, because I just read it. And so it's good. Uh, But no, it, it makes it makes it. You know, where you're you're proud of your work. And sometimes we can be really judgmental of ourselves and the things that we create. But the fact that that team 
had you pull out a little bit more, you know, the same way that you've done with, you know, the people you've interviewed, uh, it's, it's always good to say, okay, I'm, I'm, now I see what that feels like too. So that's awesome. So yeah, it's a good process. John, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you, the, the new book and all this, all the, all the awesome work you're doing? Yeah, so they can follow our website, um, which is just a piece of my mind.net. Uh, if you don't want to type all those letters, you can do the acronym APOMM.net. Uh, and our new book, Portraits of Peace Searching for Hope in a Divided America, it's uh, anywhere you want to buy books. Awesome. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So, John, thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate you and, and continued success with all this amazing work you're doing. Yeah, thanks. Great to talk with you, Michael. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.